Welcome to episode four of Aging Fast and Slow. For anyone new to our podcast, we speak to scientists, policy experts, and innovators about social justice issues in aging. Today, we're focused on the innovators. We are Dr. Sarah Zanton and Dr. Deidre Cruz, your hosts. Stephen Johnston is a co-founder of Aging 2.0, a global innovation network for aging and senior care that has 110 local chapters in 26 countries. It was so interesting to talk to our guest, Stephen Johnston, and I felt like especially to hear more about the shift to aging 2.0 from aging 1.0 with the idea that in the past we've thought of aging as a challenge, a deficit, and now we're thinking more about an aging society with opportunity and designing things for everyone, and also how can entrepreneurs get involved. Yeah, I agree, and and I was also really struck by the advice he offered uh, that we should all be trying to give more value than what we take. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Really great to have you. So, Stephen, first off, maybe just tell us what is Aging 2.0 and and how did your journey lead you to co-founding it? Sure. So, Aging 2.0 is a global community of innovators that are all working around aging and longevity. So, the goal is to try and bring technology innovation to aging and longevity senior care space but really do this at a global perspective. And I'd say there's three things that we are characterized by it. Uh, International approach, uh, an interdisciplinary approach, and uh, intergenerational. So I think those three I's are really a good way to sort of characterize what we're doing with Aging Mm 2.0. Thanks. I'm just really curious, and I'm I'm sure our listeners will be curious about, you know, how did your journey lead you to co-founding Aging 2.0? Right. It's a natural question. I don't have a background in geriatrics or gerontology or health even. I came from Nokia working in the mobile phone world and actually spent quite a few years at the end of my time there looking at mobile health related topics and ended up having left Nokia working with a dermatologist who was excited to put together a mobile dermatology app um, Mm -hmm. because he felt the future was in, in mobile And it turned out that one of his clients during the process, who was a billionaire, had been diagnosed at a very early age with dementia. And Mm -hmm. so that sort of changed the whole conversation. And so I then spent the next two years with this uh, doctor and the family working on a very interesting, what we call now venture philanthropy program to try and find a cure for this individual And it was a really interesting exercise looking at, you know, who are the experts around the world doing research in this topic and putting them together. Mm -hmm. And it was really a a conversation with the family who was saying, who out there is doing tech innovation for aging that I realized I didn't have an answer for that. And so I just felt there's this big gap and a huge opportunity to actually bring tech to the aging world to improve the lives of, of older people and also the caregivers and people that were being missed out from the focus that was then in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. And we love your framework of moving from aging 1.0 to 2.0 and the ways in which you sharpen the distinctions. For our listeners who don't know about it, I wonder if you could describe it without the visual and also tell us how you came up with that framework. Yeah, it's it's a question we probably get asked a lot. You know, what is aging 1.0, and uh, what happened to 
I'd say the biggest thing is about a change of mindset, change of attitude. We actually were inspired by Tim O'Reilly. So back in the early 2000s, he created Web 2.0. Funny enough, it's hard to think about it, but actually it seemed that the web was struggling after the 2000.com bust. And so he was a, he was a real visionary and created this framework of putting people in charge and actually uh, empowering people mm-hmm. with technology. In the web context, it was a lot about shifting from just marketplace sites to actually things like social and engaging people, getting people, giving them tools, allowing them to become part of it. And so on our website, we, we talk about the graphic that you mentioned, but in this essence, it's about a, a power shift to um, giving people control and giving them the tools that we've seen in so many other areas with technology and um, a whole new shift of what the industry could be like. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's also that there's opportunity to make innovations that make money as well, that it's not only doom and gloom and deficit and loss, um, that, that, that along with the idea that older adults can be resilient and can learn new skills and, and it can be a marketplace, it's also that there's room for innovation that could you know pay back investors as well. Mm. Yes, I think this idea that we've actually got a market opportunity We've got to be quite careful, and there's a lot of people who have obvious and logical concerns about exploiting uh, older mm-hmm. people. But I think there's so much that could be done that would be a win-win uh, for both mm-hmm. older people and the business community. So I'd say our bias has really been to try and sort of reframe this as an opportunity, not just a challenge. Um, and I think one of the reasons why I find this space so interesting is that it requires a real sensitivity towards innovation and new technology and growth, but also being very human and very uh, focused mm-hmm. on who actually uh, is benefiting. Mm-hmm. Great. And, you know, I, I was struck by you mentioning a power shift. And I think aging fast and slow is really an opportunity for us to try to highlight some of the health equity issues that exist when it comes to aging. And just curious, uh, what are some of the innovations that you have come across that you think may have helped to actually improve some of the inequities that we see that, that may be faced by people who either have low incomes or are from other vulnerable populations among older adults? Yeah, thanks, Jude. I think that's a great topic. I love what you're doing with the focus here, and it's certainly a, a topic after my own heart. I would say that we've got to start with a way that we're thinking about the approach as a sort of systems change rather than just any individual. For example, mm-hmm. with disruptive technology, you create massive new consumer value, often reducing existing revenues and business models. And so I think the example here could be ways in which we're seeing a shift from traditional medical centralized uh, services more towards the community. And I think this idea that you are able to be given the tools, be given the insights, given information to actually make better decisions so that you can look after yourself and you can have a more preventive and proactive sort of care before you need it is one of those things that we're seeing. It's it's the arrival of consumer sort of centricity also means Mm -hmm. that you put people in the driving seat. And a lot of the inequities Uh, in my view, are because of information disparities. Uh, A lot of the time, information is power. Mm -hmm. I I was looking at a study recently about the health productivity rates in healthcare, and I think the the shift that I'd like to see is we get the consumer tech innovation rates rather than the healthcare productivity rates. Mm -hmm. So if we can shift to a consumer technology pace of change and mindset, then it'll be, we're able to sort of disseminate the innovations much more 
effectively mm-hmm. into the community. We'll also need to take care of access to that technology too. I, I know in my world uh, where I work with low-income older adults, often they just have a certain number of minutes or, and they don't have broadband. So anything you're expecting of them to do to take care of themselves is kind of competing with their minutes that their, maybe their grandchild has for being able to mm. speak also. Or So I think we'll also need to do better about broadband for everyone and mm. um, kind of access, just treat it like it's a road. You know, you don't pay extra for driving on the road unless it's a highway. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And actually, we've just brought Nomura Research on from Japan to be a, a topic champion in our new collective program. And the topic they're focused on is crossing the digital divide. Mm-hmm. And I think they're really recognizing that this is a foundational piece. And it's actually more about you know public policy and government than it is necessarily about healthcare. It's mm-hmm. about defining health much more broadly than the traditional sort of mm-hmm. medical silos. And I think if we can make people think that uh, healthy aging is everybody's business and a political Mm -hmm. imperative and not just something to do with nursing homes, but actually how we run our communities, then it becomes much easier to do those things. Right. So you've mentioned the Aging 2.0 Collective. Tell us a little bit about it and how you see its role within accelerating aging innovation. Sure. So I, um, as I moved back from Silicon Valley to London uh, a couple of years ago, one of the things that for me change with a sort of a shift in mindset from a startup focus to a systems focus. Mm-hmm. And startups in Silicon Valley, you are used to thinking that the startups are the heroes that are going to save the world. But as we all know, in aging, it's really much it takes a village. And the idea of actually how to make a system work mm-hmm. more effectively is really quite complicated. And so we created the collective to be a big graph database of all of the innovations globally that we're seeing. And it's essentially this first stage has been about connecting. Mm-hmm. But the next stage after connecting is aligning. And that's where it gets really interesting, which is who else around the world is doing something that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. So let's allow them to collaborate and share best practices mm-hmm. and share the metrics that matter of what people are working on. And so once you have that layer of visibility, technology, transparency, it's much easier to see who's good and much easier globally to have a common understanding of what innovations are happening around the world. Mm-hmm. So the the novel coronavirus or COVID-19 has certainly brought about the need for us to really immediately create different networks of people and communities and make use of innovations. So you've been spending the last eight years creating this network of over 40,000 people. You know, how have you tried to capitalize on this infrastructure that you've built in order to try to address some of the issues that older adults are dealing with during this crisis? Right. Yes. In in many ways, Aging 2.0 has really been built for this moment in some ways. I mean, it's it's a tragic realization about how inadequate many of the systems are how impacted older people are Mm -hmm. and the urgent need for innovation and best practices and sharing. So we've been having regular meetings with our chapter ambassadors to sort of share best practices that we're seeing. We've created a survey to ask stakeholders what they are seeing, what their priorities are and sort of how essentially the aging two community can most help. The feedback that we had was really interesting in terms of um, specifically those at the front lines, which are really picking up the the PPE issue mm-hmm. um, much yeah. uh, sort of earlier than it sort of hit their headlines uh, mm-hmm. over the last few weeks. And so specifically, uh, for example, in the UK, the care home sector has been much less prioritized than hospitals when it comes to infrastructure like that. Yeah. For example, 
the, uh, the caregivers would go to multiple different um, residential communities and uh, one of our members in Vancouver changed their model so that a single provider would only work with a single building. So that would sort of make less mm. risk for people spreading. And so mm -hmm. we've sort of been finding stories like that, mm -hmm. sharing stories, and then asking the network for ideas and innovations and startup concepts that are relevant. A lot of the time they've got a specific app, Care app is one that comes to mind here in Australia that's like a social network to connect families. Um, and there's broadly this sort of sense that if we can just do a better job of articulating what the priorities are, then the community can start to actually sort of come together uh, around these topics. And we're putting updates on our on our website. We don't want to be distracting um, because everybody is so busy right now, but I think there's a real role for best practices and innovation to play a part mm -hmm. here. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. Great. And how, how would you define success of the Aging 2.0 Collective? Yeah, I mean, I think Aging 2.0 in general and the Aging 2.0 Collective sort of share a goal to bring uh, a community of innovators together globally. So I'd say we've probably got two ways to look at it. First is how effective is the community? How much engagement, how rich is the information flow? It's almost like the velocity of new ideas, innovations globally. Mm -hmm. And then the sort of second thing would be, okay, so how much impact have we been seeing around the world? And I think that's where it's hard to measure the discrete impact what we've been doing that's different now with the collective is building a data model to articulate progress mm -hmm. around these missions. So I'd say let's check back in in a few months' time to see what progress we've made between now and then. Yeah. <laughs> we'll hold you to it. <laughs> Sounds good. Stephen, can you tell us about any interesting collaborations you've had recently? Yeah, absolutely. So we've had, with this network, we've started to get some really interesting corporate partners, for example, Procter & Gamble, who are probably the world's best marketers in many ways, but you know they are really interested in how to reach older adults. And so this is an area that we see a huge opportunity for, to change the mindset from products and services that are just perhaps the iPhone and I can't get up, to much more consumer-driven services that are really helping people live their best lives and, and, and follow their purpose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've, uh, Stephen, you've had a, a really fascinating professional journey. And, you know, I'm curious, what pieces of advice have you gotten along the way that, that you have carried with you? Yeah, I think at business school, I was very inspired by Clayton Christensen, mm -hmm. who was very much able to kind of articulate how to have an impactful life and the importance of impact and a personal sort of North Star and doing something that mattered. And I think then Tim O'Reilly, in an interview I heard, he was suggesting that a good measure is to try and give more value than you take. And I think mm -hmm. that's the way that we have tried to embody in Aging 2.0 is to encourage community where people are you know, offering and, and sharing. So if we can kind of create some mechanism to share value, and make it easier for people around the world to give more than they take. I think we'd be uh, helping things along in a small way. Wow, that, that's really powerful advice. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Well, thank you for spending the time with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, real pleasure. Thank you for inviting. Thank you, Stephen, for sharing your insights. Check out our website, nursing.jhu.edu backslash agingfastandslow for the articles and resources referenced in the episode. We invite you to add to the conversation by tweeting at Aging Center. 
In the next episode, we are talking to Dr. Lisa Cooper about bias in the healthcare setting and how it can lead to health inequities. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend, rate it, or write us a review. And to all the researchers listening, are you developing a behavioral intervention and trying to figure out how to advance it through the research pipeline? Join the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing's Center for Innovative Care and Aging on June 8th and 9th for two half days of virtual learning, best practices, and workshopping ideas on how to fund, test, and develop behavioral interventions. For more information, contact agingcenter at jhu.edu. Special thanks to Jennifer McCord for editing and sound design, Erica Hornstein for production assistance, Rafe Reggie for technical expertise, Tim Carl for web design, and Sydney Logan for marketing. See you next time on Aging Fast and Slow.